It's great to have you joining with us today. I pray what I share will be a blessing and encouragement will also strengthen your faith. Hey, let's just pray. Father, we thank you that you are forever with us, no matter what we are facing in our life, no matter what crisis we see in our nation or anywhere else. Lord, you never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, I pray that you'd give us ears today to hear what your spirit would want to say to us as a church across our nation, but also individually. So we open our hearts to you and we say, Lord, speak. Your servants are ready to listen in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in New Zealand, we had hoped that we had kind of defeated uh, COVID-19. We had come out of our shutdowns, but as someone sent me a text, COVID-19 is back. I read recently that there's been uh, 773,000 deaths from COVID-19 around the globe, 22 million cases of infection. It's quite a staggering result. And what we've heard in New Zealand over and over again is the response of the team of 5 million. We'd never heard that before, but suddenly it's, it's come out and uh, extreme measures were put in place uh, to be followed by the team of 5 million. What I want to talk to you about today is another team that I see in our nation. I want to call it the team of 1 million. That is the number of Christians I would like to think that are in our nation. Obviously, I think that true number is less than that. But permit me to use one million for the sake of this uh, uh, message because the numbers is actually not the key point that we need to understand today. And so the backdrop to this team of five million was a state of emergency. It came from the danger of coronavirus spreading rapidly with the loss of so many lives. And as I said, the measures put in place were quite amazing and quite extreme. But as a team of one million, we're facing a far greater state of emergency because our nation is falling into a rapid decline and is drifting far away from God. What concerns me is some of the laws that have been passed and be, are being passed. You know, we see the whole thing of gender identity issues. We see abortion. We see marijuana and euthanasia. And why do you add to that the you know, hate speech or the freedom of speech uh, that that's coming through as well. And what that could mean is that some parts of the Bible, if we preach them, will be seen as hate speech and possibly even forbidden. So my question is, will future generations be free to preach the full gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, not leaving out parts that are not PC? If we don't arrest the decline of what is happening, that is what we are going to face. And I have a grave concern for future generations. We need a spiritual awakening in our churches, in our nation, like we have never, ever seen before. Proverbs 22, is it? And verse, well, it's Proverbs 14 and 34 says, righteousness exalts a nation, sin is a disgrace to, to any people. And so righteousness is what we need. If we want to see our nation lifted up, the key is righteousness. We talk about redemption lift. It means the more that a society or a nation is redeemed through the blood of the Lamb, the more that society will lift, the finances will lift, you know, the mental health will lift, uh, families, uh, all that stuff will lift and will improve and increase. So we need to see God move powerfully in our nation at this time that we are in. The future of New Zealand, can I say, depends on the response of the team of one million. Let me give you a quote. If you want a better future, 
you must disturb the present. And I will probably do that today. So I want to look at some of the things I've noticed about the team of five million that the church team of one million can learn from. All right, the first thing I noticed was with COVID-19, every team member is or requested to do their part. No one was to ignore the crisis. An emergency for some became an emergency for all. Team 5 million, it was to be all hands on deck to save us from this crisis and maybe the loss of many lives. I was amazed, seriously amazed at the compliance of the people of New Zealand. Wow, it was just amazing. And with it, of course, came a good level of success. As the team of one million, I believe God is now calling every Christian to do their part, to play their role within the body of Christ. As Ephesians 4 and uh, verse 16, speaking of the growth of the church says, every part does its share. Can I repeat that? Every part. If you're a member of the body of Christ, please, it is time to serve. That's a lesson we learned from the whole team of 5 million. And as I said, they did a pretty good job about it. But imagine, you know, we we need a shift from roughly 30% doing the work or serving to 100%. Now imagine this, if the team of New Zealand, only 30% followed the rules. Probably a major disaster, a total failure. Come on, church. It's time to rise. We need every member of our team of one million doing their part because a lot of small parts together make up a successful large part. You don't have to do massive. You just need to do your share. No more, no less, all right? It's not an excessive demand. But please, if you're not yet serving, do start to serve in your church or wherever you are because we are fighting for our nation. We're fighting for future generations. We're fighting for the eternal souls of men and women who could face a lost eternity in darkness. The stakes could not be higher. No fireman sleeps while the city burns. Let's not be asleep. Let's awake. Let's arise. Let's play our part. 1 Peter 4 verse 10, as each one has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Guess what? You've received a gift. Deposited by you, entrusted to you by God himself. Use that gift because the body of Christ, the people around you so need that gift. Can I just take a moment? I just want to thank every person in every church, big or small, who serves God, who faithfully gives, who prays. Do you know why I want to thank you? You are the backbone of the Church of New Zealand. You're the key to the future. So thank you and keep doing what you're doing. God bless you. The second thing I noticed about this team of five million was the rule book. Well, there were all the things you could do and all the things you could not do. It was massive and everyone was asked, required, sometimes even enforced to follow the rule book. The team of one million has been given a rule book. It tells us what we can do and what we cannot do. What I love about our rule book, the rules never change. They're not different tomorrow. They're not, you know, inconsistent. There will be no additions, thank God, to the rule book. 
But in this rule book are the keys to the success of the church, the keys to a state of emergency and turning it back to Jesus. Let's uphold this rule book like we never have done before. There was a huge survey done. It was in the uh, Center for Bible Engagement, done by uh, 40,000 Christians in the U.S. aged 8 to 80. Now listen carefully. It made a discovery, profound discovery that they weren't even looking for. They found that those who read the Bible once a week made virtually no difference in their lives and in different areas of their, their walk that I'm going to talk about shortly. If they opened their Bible or read their Bible twice a week, again, the difference was negligible. Three times a week, they said there was a blip on the radar, a heartbeat, but nothing more than that. They said when they got to people who engage with the Word of God, and I guess it's more than five minutes a day, it's quality time, at four times a, a week, the difference was amazing. The whole thing, the, the change in their lives, was a, it just went off the charts. Yeah. It was an exponential increase, and it really amazed them. You would have thought, you know, once a week, twice a week, three times a week, four times a week. But no, it was once a week, twice a week, three times a week, four times a week. When you get to four times, reading your Bible, engaging with it, it makes a profound difference in your life. Now, let me tell you the difference that it makes. At four times a week, loneliness drops by 30%. Anger issues drop by 32%. Bitterness in relationships, marriage, kids, and others drops by 40%. Wow. Alcoholism, would you believe it, drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. Viewing pornography, this is a big one, drops 61%. Wow. Amazing. When I heard these statistics, I was just in amazement. I was in shock. Um, also, then they said that sharing faith increases 200%. Wow. wow. And discipling increases 230%. If you're not one in the team of a million that reads this book and follows its rules, can I encourage you? Lock into God's word four times a week. Imagine if you did five, six, or seven times a week, you'd probably end up looking like Jesus. You'd be, you'd be amazing. But let's make a decision today. Because I think all the answers to our nation are actually found inside this book. So get it out. Dust it off if you need to. Open it up. And even if it falls at Deuteronomy, read it. Because all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for you and for me. Let's bring back the book. Let's exalt God's Word to the highest place from every pulpit in our nation and the nations of the world. Let's open the Word of God every Sunday and read the Scriptures, declare the Word of God. It is the pillar of truth. We know that truth has fallen in the streets according to Isaiah. The church is a, is a bastion of truth, but it's no good if it's hidden away in a corner, locked away. No, we've got to pick it up, friends. We've got to open it and we've got to read it. We've got to preach it. We've got to declare it, friends. Maybe... The greatest rules in this book, in the face of our current state of emergency, is 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 14, which says, If my people, called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Let me make it very clear. Here are the rules to change our nation. Pray. Fast. Seek the face of God. 
Turn from your wicked ways. Repentance. And God will heal Aotearoa, this great nation of ours. It's not complicated. The rules are simple. They're straightforward. You don't need a degree to understand those basic things that you and I, the team of one million, let's grab 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Ask God, write it upon the fleshly tablets of your heart and mind, and let's live it out on a daily basis. Not something you refer to just in a prayer meeting, but each day as you spend time with prayer, keep these, this verse in mind. It is, I believe, the single most important scripture for us at this time, this crisis that we face in our nation, because I am fully confident that we can heal our land. We can turn this nation to Jesus. We can change all those statistics, the bad ones that I heard about, and, and bring the reign of God into New Zealand. But there are a few rules that we have to follow, and let's Learn from the team of five million who in most parts obeyed the rules, even rules they hated and disagreed with. You know, as Christians, sometimes if we don't like one of the rules, we just ignore it. Let's learn from this other team. It's an inspiration to us. And I I thank God for what we are able to do as a team of one million. But there's a few more things that I've noticed here. The third thing I noticed was the sacrifices the team of five million were willing to make. At level four, you had to stay in your small little bubble, virtually not go out or see anyone. I mean, that was really hard, especially with parents who had got kids and kids that weren't the the best behaved in the country. It made it very hard for them. Then there was self-isolating. Some people couldn't visit close family members that may even have been dying. Then shops had to close, jobs were lost, financial ruin for so many people. The list goes on and on. But this team of five million, Willingly, unwillingly, but to a large measure, they were willing to sacrifice for the sake of ridding New Zealand or trying to rid it of COVID-19. Friends, we have as a team of one million, a far greater crisis in our hands, in front of us. We're talking about the future of a nation. We're talking about the future of generations to come. We're talking about lost souls going to a lost eternity, friends. What are you and I willing to sacrifice? What price are you willing to pay? What price am I willing to pay? And I want to suggest incremental increase in sacrifice. Don't go from nothing to, oh, I'm going to die. I'm going to martyr. I'm going to be a martyr. You don't, you don't serve in church yet. No, no, just make an incremental increase in sacrifice because that's the best way that it's working. That becomes something that is doable. We need to make Christ known. You know, in the Great Wales Revival, it was a a revival that transformed a nation. They said if there was any slogan that was applicable to it, it was these words, bend the church and save the people. Bend the church. Talking about deep submission to God. Bend. Bend the church. And I say, God, bend the church. When I say that, I mean, God, bend me. Bend me. If no one else bends, bend me. If no one else responds, help me to respond, friends. Bend the heart. That's what we're really talking about. Bend the heart and bend the knee. That's an outward expression or physical expression of an inward condition. Friends, it's time for the church to bend and see the reign of God come in our nation. 
You know, down through history, there's been stories of courageous men and women who have sacrificed so greatly for the cause of Christ. And you know, the church is built on their shoulders, built on the shoulders of martyrs and others that have gone before, the Hudson Taylors, the the, um, William Careys, the C.T. Studs, you know, the Billy Grahams. And I don't know about you, but they so inspire me. They so challenge me because I, I see where I am then. I see what they did and I see the gap. And I just want to cross that chasm and get more and more towards the inspiration that these men and women gave. And I, I pray that the legacy I'll leave behind and that the legacy you'll leave behind is that we bent ourselves. We sacrificed for the sake of a nation, for the sake of coming generations. One of those men was John Bunyan, powerful preacher, draw crowds, large crowds. In 1661, Bunyan was put in prison for 12 years, 12 years in prison. The loss of being with family and his wife and his church was a, a painful distress to him. Bunyan was offered freedom from prison. The only requirement He had to stop preaching. Well, he refused. Spent the next 12 years or so in prison. Finally released in 1672. Wow. What men and women of history have done. Having said all that, My problem, I'm in love with comfort. I like comfort. I love my lazy boy. Give me my remote control. And I say, honey, bring me the three C's. Coffee, cake, and curry. (laughs) And I'll be happy. And the reason I mention that, friends, is that there's a call to sacrifice. But we love comfort. And somehow, team of one million, we have to cross the bridge from comfort to sacrifice. It's not the easiest bridge to cross, but what I'm saying is take one step on that bridge. And then a second step on that bridge, because you're going to find this, when you take one step, you're going to be inspired to take another step. And then you're going to be inspired to take another step because when you sacrifice for God, it brings a sense of fulfillment. There comes a satisfaction within your heart. You begin to discover the reason for which God put you on the planet. Team of one million, it's time. It's time to sacrifice more than we have done so in the past. Today, I'm on day three of a three-day fast. And I trust with thousands of Christians that have joined with us across our nation. God is on the move. There are some good things happening. Romans 12 verse 1 says, Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. All right, a couple more. The fourth thing I noticed with the team of five million was the level of unity. Wow. It was extraordinary. Honestly, it was. I mean, of course, there were pockets where people were doing what they shouldn't do, and some of them got punished for it. Of course, we can't do that. But um, that's what they did. And I know I'm beating the unity in the body of Christ drum again. (laughs) I know I'm doing that. But listen, 
Sometimes you have to speak what you seek until you see what you speak. You've got to speak what you seek until you see what you seek. And friends, I am seeking unity in the body of Christ and I will speak it. I will keep shouting it. I will call it out. Any opportunity I have across the nation, I will champion unity in the body of Christ. It was the longest prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. It is the burning and, and, and breaking heart of God to see His church come together in unity because the power in unity is exponential. Friends, it's beyond anything we could ever think or imagine. If we had a revelation of what unity in the body of Christ could do, every one of us would, would put aside our differences, we'd get on board and do as much as we can together. And there's a fresh call of the Spirit of God to unity in our nation. In fact, as I travel uh, across New Zealand, I'm a sensing an awakening. It may be small at the moment, but there's an awakening of unity across our nation, across our land. And I suggest before there's going to be any revival, there will be a revival of unity. We talk a lot about a revival of prayer and we'll get to that. But also we need a revival of unity. Why don't you start a revival of unity? You say, what can I do? Just speak about unity to your friends, your family, anyone you come across. You don't need a pulpit. You've got your own platform. Your platform is the people all around you. Talk about the body of Christ. Speak well of other churches and other leaders. We can all be champions for unity in the body of Christ. Here's a few quotes for you. Helen Keller said, Alone, we can do so little. Together, we can do so much. Wow. A church alone, church unlimited alone, can do so little. I'm conscious of that. I used to think we could save the world. <laughs> How dumb was that? Till I realized I couldn't even save my neighbor. Alone, we can do so little. A leader, a church, a denomination alone can do so little. But together... We can do so, so, so much. Here's another quote. None of us is as smart as all of us. Ken Blanchard. <laughs> you may think you're smart, but hey, you get all of us together, man, we are brilliant, phenomenally uh, intelligent and smart, smart enough to turn this nation back to God. Imagine more churches, leaders, denominations uniting. So that's my plea. That's my prayer. An ex-Prime Minister of New Zealand apparently said they were not concerned about the church because they could never unite on anything. Parliament sees a divided church, and so they feel they can ignore it. We are going to prove them wrong. The church, the team of one million, will unite in Jesus' name. If we follow some of the guidelines we've shared today, God will bring His church together. We will be united and we will change the narrative of our nation. One last thought, a challenging thought. Maybe some of the other bits have been challenging as well. But with a team of five million, Maybe one of the most challenging things they had to do was to go into self-isolation. They reckon the worst form of imprisonment is when you're put in solitary confinement, when you're locked away alone, because it's a very challenging thing to do. And I know even in our nation, the team of five million, some people struggled with the, the bubble, with the self-isolation, but it was an important and considered an essential key to helping diminish the effect and the impact 
of COVID-19. Friends, what can we learn as a team of one million? I think God is calling us to isolate ourselves in our closets. Get before the face of God. Seek his face like we have never done before. Pray more than we've ever prayed before. Call upon his name more than we have ever called upon his name before. I am passionately praying and believing, and I believe I'll see, we will see a great revival of prayer. Can I say it again? Pray this prayer. Lord, start a prayer revival and start with me. Come on. If no one else prays, you pray. If your church doesn't pray, you pray. If no one else goes to their closet, you go to your closet. Because you, listen, you can start a prayer revival among those who are close to you. When they see you praying, they're going to cause, they're going to start praying. May not be as much as you, but it's like a virus. It's a pray. Hey, how about a prayer virus? <laughs> We've talked about the unity virus. How about the prayer virus? Believe me, when you begin to pray, Others are stirred, inspired to pray. Now, some will pray because I pray, but when they see someone who's their friend, their, their contemporary praying, that's a whole different ballgame. When you tell them, hey, I was in the closet this morning, spent 20 minutes there, half an hour, whatever it is, they're going to think like, what? And if you're spending time in the closet, humbly let people know. Because the body needs to know that there are praying people. Because that is our hope. That is the future of our nation. Isaiah 26, 20, come my people. Enter your chambers, shut your doors behind you, hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment. Well, we're saying for a long moment, until the indignation or the crisis is past. Well, that's how you deal with any crisis, is you isolate yourself, you hide yourself away. But we're going to keep praying till the Lord takes us home. <laughs> we'll never stop praying because the cause of Christ will be required, we'll need our prayers to the end of days. With an awakening of prayer and unity, it's game over. It's game over, friends. The devil is defeated. Multitudes are saved. The moral decline in our nation is eliminated. And New Zealand Aotearoa turns to Jesus with prayer and unity. Game over. Blow the whistle. The church has won. The church has beaten the odds and beaten the devil and helped change the future of our nation. Martin Luther King said this, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. We can't be silent, friends. This is not a time to be silent about things that matter. We need, you have a voice. The greatest voice of all, of course, is the voice of prayer. But, but we need to speak out. We need to challenge where, where, where that needs to be done. Friends, I cannot, I cannot be silent. I cannot close my mouth, either in prayer or declaring where things are at and what we need to do as a team of one million. It takes a bit of courage to do that, friends, but this is a time for courage. This is not a time to retreat in fear and, you know, kind of be afraid of any word that comes out of your mouth because someone's going to react to you. Friends, the, what, did, what did he say? Luther King said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. The things I've talked to you about today matter. The future of our nation matters. The laws being passed matter. Lost souls going to hell matter. We cannot be silent. 
If we are, it's the day our life begins to end. There was an evangelist, Gypsy Smith, fiery, fiery preacher. The late 1800s, early 1900s. The early 20s, young man. He was an itinerant preacher with the Salvation Army. Very, very successful. He drew large crowds of thousands. One day a newspaper reporter came up to him and said, Gypsy Smith, how come you are so successful? How come you're always on fire? When you preach, people get saved, delivered, set free. What is the secret? Gypsy Smith said this, go home, lock yourself in your room, kneel down in the middle of the floor with a piece of chalk. And he said, draw a circle like this around your life. And then begin to say, God, start your revival with me. Pray humbly, pray fervently, pray with brokenness, but pray, God in heaven, creator of the universe, master of all things, Lord of glory, start a revival and start it in my heart. I don't know if he went further and said, and God, I'll be in this circle for as long as I need to be there until I see a nation turn around to God. Can I add this, friends? This is not what Gypsy said, but what I say is everything happens in the circle. Yeah, true. Your heart gets changed in the circle. Your love grows in the circle. Your prayer life goes up in your circle. What is God speaking to you through this message? It all happens in the circle, friends. Is he calling you to now begin to serve him wherever he has placed you? Is he saying it's time to get out the rule book? Not just read it once a week, but four times a week, but also do what it says. Is he calling you to be a champion for unity in the body of Christ? Is he calling you to a greater level of sacrifice? Or is he saying to you, it's time to get in your closet, draw a circle around your life, and pray like you have never prayed before? I said it last week, I'm going to repeat it. This is our time in the history line of God. This is it. This is it, friends. What will we do? We have a moment. We have a breath. We have a vapor. And soon we'll be gone. Let the team of one million rise to the challenge and bring transformation to this great nation of ours. And I want to finish with my declaration that the church of New Zealand, the team of one million, will rise to the challenge of this hour and will bring change and transformation to this great nation of New Zealand. Amen.